Good day, friends. Welcome to the Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. I'm your host, Elcio Eber, transformational author, speaker, and life coach. Allow me to be a guide as you discover your higher self and your magic within. Good day, friends, and welcome to Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast with Elcio Eber. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome back. Today's episode is a returning episode with Susanna Quintana and myself discussing emotional abuse and surviving a narcissistic relationship. Today we have Lana Monday joining us in today's discussion to further try to expand on the topic of emotional abuse and surviving a relationship with a narcissistic partner. Please do enjoy and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, that's a common feeling of victims is that confusion, that fog yeah. in where it's, yeah, you're just so, you know, you're so conditioned and brainwashed over a very long period of time and a very, and it's so subtle, you know, like I said, it's completely different from the other extreme of physical abuse because physical abuse, boom, like you have it right away, right? You look in the mirror and you know very well because it shows up on your eye or in a bruise or whatever. But yeah, emotional abuse is, it's tough to detect. And the other reason it is, is because, you know, I always say to people who are like, how could you stay that long? How could you, you know, put up with that? But if my ex had shown up on the first date and revealed who he was, right? And said, this is what I'm going to do to you over the course of the next 16 years, right? I would never have given him a second date but they know exactly how to give you everything that you're looking for. So how could any normal person distinguish between that and somebody who's a narcissist? It's very difficult unless you've been there and you know what a narcissist looks like and how they act, right? Like I can spot a narcissist from 10 miles away nowadays. But if you're not familiar with a narcissist, then you just feel like you hit the jackpot. And then the reason that we stay is because, you know, for example, in my case is that you fall in love with somebody, you trust somebody, you have children with somebody, you're building a life with somebody. So when things start to happen and things start to break down or like lies are happening or there's little red flags here and there, or you have reason to not believe them anymore, or maybe trust issues come up you already have such a trust and love established. It's not like this is just a stranger, right? So you're more apt to just, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, right? And the problem is, is that goes on for so long until finally it just becomes so horrible. And this is what happens with all narcissists because they can't sustain this, right? So the abuse just continues to get worse and worse and worse. And do you think that's the same then in hindsight of, someone that has survived a divorce from a narcissistic person and is now trying to establish a separate new life. But at some point, as you said, some sort of trust to the time commitment to the previous relationship. How is it easy or difficult for someone leaving a narcissistic abuse to have that support system in place? Like the services you offer would allow someone to be able to have someone that they had had experience and been through that experience to use as a balance to help guide them to such a, an exit, let's say, from that type of control. But someone that does not have someone like you that is, is experiencing such an early stage of leaving a, a narcissistic relationship, 
the will to go back or the will to bend to their ways, even while being out of the divorce. Yes. Well, it's a fact a woman goes back to her abuser an average of seven times. I know exactly why that is. That's because in the beginning stages of leaving, we're still so emotionally devastated because of that attachment. We're tempted. And because there's not enough access to support by people who know what narcissists do. So it's very tempting. And I went back to my abuser once and it was just worse after that when I went back. I think I lasted six months before I left finally for good. But it's understandable because we're in these very lonely places because we're still in the mindset of nobody's going to love me. I'm never going to find anybody again. And narcissists are probably trying to hoover you, which is named after the Hoover vacuum because they're trying to suck you back in, right? Which makes it very difficult. So the process of fully moving on and getting away from that attachment is the reason it's so difficult is because there's just not enough awareness out there. I went through three therapists who had no idea. I mean, these are people with master's degrees, right? And though they know what narcissistic personality disorder is, these three therapists that I went through, I was re-traumatized all over again because narcissists are very good at convincing therapists who don't know how they're working, right? So it all became about me again in that. So it's difficult to find somebody who understands, again, when you're reaching out to you know, friends and family that are around you, so many will be, you know, of that opinion, like you just need to get over it. Why can't you just move on? So because of that, we're re-traumatized all over again, right? So finding somebody who, like I said, anybody who has had an experience with a narcissist, we're all on the same road. I just happened to be farther down the road. And when I was back in the darkness, you know, I reached out to women who were ahead of me because the most important thing is that we need to understand of what the illusion was, right? Because the reason that we want to go back is because we think, oh, I loved him and he still loves me or, or whatever, you know, just, and not recognizing that that was all an illusion that you may have Definitely, you felt love. You know, a victim feels love, but understanding that that love was not based on reality. That love was based on somebody who is presenting a facade to you, right? That's the facade that you love. So, the necessary, the crucial step in full recovery from a narcissist is recognizing the illusion of it all, recognizing that a narcissist never loved you. Any abuser does so to keep you on purpose. It's not out of love. It's abuse disguised as love. And the tactics that they use, if you were to compare that to a healthy, an emotionally healthy person, you know, you can see night and day how that's totally different. You know, with the person who's emotionally healthy and who is not an abuser, you know, they still make mistakes, but they will rectify those mistakes. They will not manipulate you. They will not gaslight you. They will not you know, continue to seek your demise so they can be more powerful. So that's all in the illusion of recognizing that. I would like to take a brief moment for a guided meditation.
Close your eyes and take a deep breath and follow me in this guided meditation as we recite this daily affirmation. I am sight and I am seen. I am light and I am love. I know that I can achieve greatness. I am mind and I am body. I know that I will overcome all adversities. I am heart driven by emotion and I am spirit affecting light. I know I am heavenly favored and blessed. So it is that I know with faith that this too shall pass. Blessing be to you. Healing of the heart, healing of the mind, I extend to you from my vibrational force into yours, a guidance of healing, love, and light. Hear this resonant sound and receive the healing. I am one, I am one, I am one. Healing of all to some vibration. Becoming spiritually integrated means giving up false conceptual beliefs and keeping one's true nature deeply connected with the universal force of life and creation, all in the heart, all in the mind in spirit. The following guidelines will help your self-revival and your process and journey of self-cultivation to the self-transformation. Unify the mind and the body so there is no separation. Concentrate on inner vitality and on becoming pliant like a baby. Purify your inner vision in order to reach immaculate accuracy. Love all people and govern them with serviceable virtue instead of resorting to the worldly approach of force. Be receptive when heavenly doors open as well as when they close. This brings forth the subtle changes that appear in the physical world. For there is the changing and the unchanging truth that is within all life in the one single moment that we are from past, present, and future. Keep your mind and life unoccupied in order to live with the reality of each new moment for what it is. Blessings be to you. Receive the healing of all. Blessings be to you, receive the healing through the sound of the resonance. Yes, I was bringing up earlier in the fourth stage of learning, the unconscious incompetence, consciously yes. competent, consciously competent, unconsciously competent, leading to socially competent. So somewhere between that there, there's the, from the second to the third stage, there's a shift within that person that now they're consciously competent of themselves and or their narcissistic feeling or tendency in that moment, but they don't act on or then oppress their new partner or friend or whatever. They learn how to then wheel it in and change a narrative versus someone that is on the other spectrum that will be willingness to go with it on an unconscious state and just press more into it. Yes. And victims get into trouble. And I got into trouble myself early on because we're not recognizing that illusion and we're still buying into it. For example, in a divorce, 
you'll still think, oh, he would never hurt me. He would never do this. He would never do that. You know, even though we're getting a divorce, he's not going to purposely, you know, and understanding that absolutely they will. A narcissist will take you down. He will punish you. He will do whatever he takes to win, even if it means your life. And the same, what's equally important is not having any illusions if you're trying to parent with a narcissist is because I made that mistake in the very beginning of thinking, well, what kind of father would hurt his own children, right? He would never do that. He loves his kids, you know, and I would make these excuses. And in the meantime, he was doing exactly that because that's what narcissists do because they don't care about anybody but themselves and kids just become collateral damage. So that illusion is really, really important if you want to not only save yourself, but save your kids. Oh, very true. And I think this is something I'll bring up that someone we both know has mentioned on her show, Chris Godinez. Uh, When I got into trying to understand a relationship with someone coming out of a narcissistic marriage, I found Chris Godinez's podcast and her YouTube stuff. And one of the things she also mentioned to me that, well, not to me directly, but it brought up that caught my attention was sometimes the victim of these narcissistic abusive situations finds it difficult to sustain or endure independence and slide back into that control or they maintain freedom from their narcissistic person but then in turn becomes a narcissist and starts to portray or reflect what was programmed onto them onto new people into their lives Sometimes consciously, and sometimes they do it unconsciously. Right. Is that common, though, where a victim becomes a narcissist and not know it? I don't think it's common. At least nobody, uh, none of the women I've ever worked with or talked to. I think we try. And what I mean by that is that we've been so damaged that, and I did this myself, that we try to become like them. We try to do what they did to us, you know, to exact revenge or just to get them back or to make them feel what we felt. You know, those are typically unsuccessful because narcissists need, the reason that they chose us is because we're empaths and we're compassionate and we're, you know, good people. So the chance of us turning into them is not common. Uh, That's what's called reactionary abuse, meaning that there's the abuse and then there's the reactionary abuse. For example, in physically violent incidences, there, let's say the police are called because there's a physical incidence of a man is aggressive or is physical with a woman and in her defense, she hits back or she you know, retaliates in some way. Yeah. So that's reactionary abuse, which means that that abuse would not have happened if the initial abuse would not have happened, if that makes sense. Yes, totally. And then that's like that I talked about earlier when I was trying to, to connect it. I just said, you know, um, our cells dies daily and we have to kind of learn how to face those emotions and the yes. notion of consciousness and those stages of competencies that we can connect to or go through between emotional abuse and physical abuse, mental abuse, different, but yet they're all happening to facets of us, like different, different parts of, of who we are consciously or that we lend our consciousness to are being abused in different scales or different gradients. And we now somehow have to put this all together. And that's something where I think a victim gets lost and overwhelmed with. Yes, absolutely. And this reacting back, you know, that's what a lot of victims will do. I did it myself. I hear it from 
you know, I would say that most victims do it is that when I was in it, when I was in the relationship, I would react to how I was being treated, especially when you start feeling crazy and you're losing control and you know what I mean? And so I remember, you know, I would yell back, I would get into these big shouting matches. Well, it was just basically me just like, you know, yelling my frustrations and whatever else. And I remember thinking, I don't know who this person is I've turned into, right? I'm not this screaming lunatic of a woman. And yet I had been pushed so far into a corner that I literally had no other way of reacting than to just come out with my claws bared, right? To protect myself. So, so that's the difference between abuse and reactionary abuse. And also another tactic narcissists use is they'll call you the narcissist or they'll call you the bully. Like I my, that. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, that that is another part of the crazy making is because I remember I would go to my ex to sort of talk to him about something that he did that hurt me. And but before I even got a sentence out of my mouth, he was telling me that I was bullying him. And I remember I felt even crazier after that because I thought, wait a second, am I a bully? And I seriously thought about that. I seriously considered, wait, maybe I'm the bad guy here. Maybe I, maybe I am a bully. Am I bullying him? Am I harassing him? Am I, you know, because that's what narcissists do. So yeah, are you coming on too strong? What you're saying, your, your personality, or you're overflowing the discussion or relationship even with your presence and not even being aware of it. But right. You, as you said, that's a programmable, like you didn't know it, but it was programmed by this person. Right. Interesting, very interesting. Susanna, I really enjoy your perspective on this, and I would, I would like to take this moment to maybe circle back to where we started from. Sure. In terms of it always being about finding yourself and your balance and your strength and where do you grow from. And as I did earlier, I'd like to be able to use, as you know, I like um, chiming in <laughs> with my singing bowl, and then I'd like to recite a quote and After the quote, I'll introduce you to a new participant with us. But it kind of comes from a place of building strength and growth from within and where where we can find once we discover these, we do the mirror work to discover these abuses that we're able to face and get the strength to do the work we need to do internally to grow from it. So one quick second and... Strength and growth comes only through continuous effort and struggle. Patience, persistence, perspiration makes an unbeatable combination for success. Think twice before you speak because your words and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. And from this perspective, this was November 8, 1970. This is a Napoleon Hill's quote. And I want to bring that in because for me, in the beginning part, I've been what I call swimming the ocean of consciousness now for like over 20 years of a young man leaving a Caribbean island trying to seek the adventures of living the American dream. And 20 years later, I'm finding it took that long for me to come full circle to find who I am. But in my beginning sailing into that discovery from the ego state into the self-awareness, Napoleon Hill and his works were something that was great 
in guiding me to discover the strength I had inside to face anything that I was facing. A lot of what you talk about when you talk about narcissism and the sort of emotional and mental abuse that happens and how a person has to find themselves from that, I, I kind of want to explore where it's all about self-transformation and the work we do within and how we can grow together from the different aspects of where our strengths are and how we can bring that in to help others. So from that, I'd like to introduce you to Alana Monday. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Alana. How are you guys doing? Very good. Good. I know I'm a little late to the ball game. Apologies for that. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll keep it moving forward. Uh, that's why I started with my Napoleon Hill quote, because I was speaking to Susanna and letting her know a little bit about you and that you work with Napoleon Hill Foundation and you and I spoke about stuff. But Susanna is an author and a life coach. And she's also the a survivor of a narcissistic marriage and we were just kind of discussing that aspect of it so susanna i'd like to take this moment that once again to just maybe have you quickly introduce yourself and your book to lana and then lana will introduce herself to you we can kind of just pull each other into a conversation sure hi lana hi yes i'm a writer and a speaker and the best-selling author of you're still that girl get over your abusive ex for good specifically your narcissistic ex. And I am an abuser survivor at the hands of a diagnosed narcissist. So now I work with women and coach women who are in the recovery process, recovering healing process after experiencing narcissistic abuse. Very good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. All right. Well, my name is Lana Monday and I am a communications professor. I teach a lot of visual communications as well as speech. And aside from that, I do a lot of work, as stated, with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. I think it's one of the most wonderful foundations in terms of creating positive mental attitude and really taking a look at, at what your purpose is. You know, the works of Napoleon Hill date back into the 20s, the 1920s, and it just amazes me that all those books that he penned, you know, they're just as popular now than they ever, ever have been. Yeah, and so that totally says something about the mindset of people now, especially now with the move toward wellness and self care and you know all those different types of things. No, uh, I think it was very true, and I think um, you know that was my interest in asking both of you to join me to swim in the ocean of consciousness because I have done individual podcast interview with you both one on one, and I felt that. I sort of had the ability to make a very natural connection with you both individually. And I wanted to bring us together because I think the three of us together maybe would be able to bring conversation to a different level that would be helpful to anyone listening in an inspirational, motivational aspect. And as I mentioned, Lana, I, I draw a lot still from many small elements of Napoleon's teachings. And a lot of the work I have been in discussion of personally trying to do with Lana is about using the, the media digital that she specializes in and trying to take Swim in the Ocean of Consciousness to some sort of next level to, together that, that it could help reach other people. And in meeting Susanna and her journey, I just feel it is such a nice uh, crossroads where I can introduce Susanna to, to Lana just in case maybe there is a crossing where Alana can be of assistance to Susanna in launching of her book and getting this to another level and her really reaching many more people, Alana, because I was telling her that earlier that I feel I was unaware as an adult of this narcissist persona type and how right. deep it 
was connected and I didn't know it. I did, and then when I was dating someone that had divorced from this and spent 25 years with a malignant narcissist, which is even worse than a narcissist because they're a bit sadistic. These were all new things to me, and I felt so, pardon me, but stupid because I'm like, wait, then uh, this is kind of a joke, right? It doesn't really exist. No, kind of like when I told you, like, you're like I can't fathom this happening to me. I would not be able to consent to it, and that was like, wow, you know. And so I had that factor, and then the more I understand it, I was like, no, this is real. People go through this, and there are people out there that do this to people. And so with that, maybe we can bridge it a little bit where, Susanna, as I was mentioning to you, you know, Lana and I are coming from the perspective of never really going through what you went through, and that's sort of new for us. And maybe if right. you quickly help us to understand what is it, that you, one, went through with a narcissistic partner, two, where did you discover it was not for you? Where did you find the strength to make the stance to leave? And in leaving, how easy was it for you to slide back into? As you mentioned, you went back to your abuser and then you finally left for good. But when leaving for good, something happened where you gained an inner personal, mental, emotional, solid strength to be willing to put your experience into words to guide and help others to grow in such a capacity. And strength and growth comes only to continuous effort and struggle. And that's a Napoleon Hill quote, because patience, persistence, and makes yeah. a beautiful combination for success. And what that means is the success of your health, your wealth, your being, your, your yourself. But for us, as anyone else that does not know what a narcissist abuse or what a narcissist does to someone that is loving and kind, as, as you mentioned, and please help Lana to understand that when you were speaking of how you were such an accomplished, successful person prior to the relationship. Yes. Well, I, I'll start out by saying, well, first, I, I just like to say, I love it when I hear people who have never had this experience because, yay, <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that because God knows I wish nobody would ever have to experience this. But anyway, let me start by just addressing a couple of myths about what it is to be in an emotionally abusive relationship because even in physically abusive relationships, People who have never been in that situation, you know, through no fault or no bad intention, there's a lot of questions of why did you put up with it? Why did you stay, right? So in the case of emotional abuse, specifically with a narcissist, first of all, what a narcissist does is right from the beginning is this is a game. This is a tactic. This is a manipulation. This is not somebody who is a healthy person who's just falling in love and, you know, like normal healthy people do. Whereas their victims are, right? We're just normal healthy people who just think, hey, I found the man of my dreams. One of the myths is that abusers choose very weak and stupid people, right? Especially with women. What kind of woman would even put up with that? She must be weak. She must be, you know, not too bright. She must be desperate or whatever. There must be something wrong with her. So that's the first myth is because abusers do not specifically narcissists. They do not show you who they are when you meet them. So when I met my ex who wasn't diagnosed as a narcissist until the very end of our marriage, when I met him, he was the man of my dreams. I was an accomplished I had a college degree. I was very smart. I felt like I was, I was a very strong person. I was very creative. I had been a business owner. I was a mother of a young son. 
you know, so I was just a normal person who once I met him just fell head over heels with him. Now there are certain aspects to victims that, you know, that obviously get us entangled and keep us there. So, and that's part of the work we do when we're recovering from those relationships is because we have to really get in deep and understand, okay, why did I not at those first red flags? Like, you know, why did I not see this for what it was? But in the beginning, everything was, you know, like I was telling Elsie at the beginning is that, you know, when I met him, he presented himself as everything I was looking for in a man, right? And this continued for the first few years. And what narcissists do is called love bombing and in the beginning. And the reason that they do that is because their mask is eventually going to fall off. And so they want you, you know, a hook, line, and sinker in so deep when it does that you're already in, right? You know, as years were passing and I was already invested, I was already in love, I trusted him, I had children with him and planning a future with him, you know, everything is intertwined, right? Like I gave him everything of myself. So over the years, as things started happening, you know, why would I all of a sudden just say, okay, I'm not putting up with this. I'm leaving tomorrow, right? Nobody's going to do that. And actually, society would say, why didn't you stay longer? Why didn't you try, right? Why didn't you try harder? Marriage is not easy. So that's one of the myths among many of what it is to be a victim of narcissists. The other thing is that, and this is why I found myself in this relationship, one of the reasons is because I was one of those people that believed everybody is inherently good like everybody, every single human on the planet was inherently good and they had good intentions. They just made mistakes, right? So this belief is a dangerous one because narcissists and there are people in the world, not, you know, in the minority, most people are good people and are inherently good, but not all people. Yeah. And narcissists are people who do not love and they specifically abused for the purposes of feeling empowered themselves, what's called supply, getting their supply from their victims. So that was a hard realization for me to come to is because I had always given him the benefit of the doubt. So when he would lie or when he would, when I thought he was cheating or all of these things, or when he would be disrespectful to me or anything like that, I thought, okay, he just made a mistake, right? So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, I did this for 16 years until it got so bad. But what narcissists, you know, as we were speaking earlier, also, Elcio, is, is the biggest, the hardest part for victims of emotional abuse, especially by narcissists, is that the outside world doesn't see what's going on because you don't have bruises and broken bones. Yes, correct. Right? Like, I didn't have a black eye where I could, where somebody else from the outside would say, hey, where'd you get that black eye? You're, somebody's abusing you, Right. I didn't have anything to show for it. So from the outside, narcissists are typically very charming. They're very successful. They win people over as soon as you step in the room with them. You know, you just, I can't even tell you how over all those years, I would just sort of stand back in the corner and just watch his one man show and everybody loved him. Right. So even when I did start experiencing certain smaller abuses that I didn't really, I just thought I had brought them on or they were kind of my fault because that's what he was conditioning me to think. I really had nobody to go to because I thought, okay, nobody's going to believe me because everybody loves this guy so much. And out in public, he was wonderful. He treated me 
wonderful. He was, you know, and he just put on this facade of everything is great. So again, because it's emotional abuse, I didn't even realize I was being abused until I actually got out of the relationship and started learning about narcissists and what they do and how they do it. So like I was saying earlier, it's like a cancer. You don't see it. And, you know, and until it's almost too late, that's when, when it finally manifests. And sometimes it is too late, but that's what a victim of emotional abuse experiences. And then also going through all that guilt and shame over the years is because the narcissist conditions his victims so that they will continue to put up with the abuse, right? Through all kinds of tactics that how would any normal person, you know, I was 30 years old when I met him. I mean, how on earth would I have known these things like gaslighting and bait and switch and, and, you know, psychological liar, pathological lying and stuff like that. There was no way I could have known that. I was just like a normal person who thought she had met a normal guy. So over the years, you know, I had become so beaten down emotionally by his, and it's not even verbal abuse. It's not even like he's calling names. It's just these manipulation tactics that got me to think I was worthless, that got me to all those great things that about myself in the beginning, you know, toward the end, I thought there was nothing good about me. I thought I was a terrible mother. I couldn't handle money. I was insecure. I was high maintenance. I was too emotional. I was too sensitive. All of these things I had been conditioned to believe about myself. So the transition from the beginning of the relationship with the narcissist to the end is literally two extremes. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's a good uh, time for me to chime in because, hey, I'm not sure if Lana knows in terms of connecting to what you were speaking, but for me, it was the first time hearing it. So if you could really quick explain to her before we, we get her feedback on this, what exactly is gaslighting in relation to having a relationship and how does that factor into it really quick. Yes. Well, quickly, gaslighting, the term comes from the movie Gaslight. I think it was like in the 1940s of where an abuser is trying to make his partner go crazy, feel crazy. So he starts like flicking the lights and just making her feel like she's going out of her mind, like she's losing her mind. So gaslighting are just tactics that a narcissist will use to start to make a victim feel like she's crazy. So I was giving an example earlier, like with me, is that because I always have had a good memory. I can remember things in specific words, and I've always had a fantastic memory. So over the years, he would say something, for example, and I'd go back and say, oh, remember when you said that? And he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're going crazy because I never said that. And or memories I would have of us together and things that we would do. And let's say five years later, something would come up and I'd say, oh, remember that time when, you know, we did this, that and the other. And again, he would turn it on its on its head and say things like, I don't know what you're talking about. That must have been somebody else or, you know, so over time, all these and they're just little tiny incidences like you wouldn't even give any credit to like very small little conversations that don't even matter, right? And But what it does was it caused me to doubt my own memory, right? And then I started doubting, okay, wait a second, did I really hear that? Or, or am I remembering it wrong? Or is he you know, right about this? Or another thing that he would do is he would talk to somebody else, let's say a friend of mine, and she would come to me and say, oh, he said this about you. And I'd go confront him and say, why did you say this about me? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. This is what she said about you, (laughs) right? So it's crazy making behavior is what it is. It's because 
And again, why would, at that time, I trusted him. So why wouldn't I continue to trust him? And I was just so beaten down emotionally that I thought, okay, that's it. I'm going crazy. I'm for sure going crazy because I could have sworn that that happened. But now, now I'm not so sure if it did. <laughs> yeah, you know, and hey, Susanna, so let me use this opportunity to draw us all into the ocean of consciousness because it leads right back to a work that Lon and I do and why I chose to... In- to introduce with that Napoleon quote, because I think in the work that you're doing right now with helping other women that go through this or are going through it, and what I'm trying to do here is draw into those that are not aware of and try to bring light to the situation that this is going on, there's emotional abuse, and sometimes this emotional becomes physical, mental, and it has extreme effects on not just the women, but the, the children and the raising of their children. And in the positive work that Lana and I have been discussing doing in media and podcasting and video, in trying to bring not just health and wellness from a fitness perspective, but also from a, a life coaching perspective. And my interest in the work she's doing with the Napoleon Hill Foundation is in trying to find in these modern times right now how let's say what her and I are doing can connect to what the work you're doing and how the three of us maybe can triangulate to come together to bring the necessity for this topic to be discussed openly where people that are going through this in private can, can gain inspiration and motivation and strength to make decisions as you have made to free yourself from such a situation. Before Lana chimes in, I'd like to read this really quick. It says, you do not have to fear defeat if you believe it may reveal powers that you didn't know you possessed. So whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, you don't have to have complete failure of, of I'm not worthy of myself to rise from this because that very difficult thing that you're facing was necessary to help you to know how deeply you're strong to be able to rise as a woman, as a mother, to protect your son and to be able to strive from there. And that's a Napoleon Hill quote. (laughs) (laughs) Lana, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, just a couple of uh, things I think that are interconnecting here. Your emotions are really your mindset right? And that's one of the things that Napoleon Hill talks about over and over and over is your mindset. And, you know, it's funny, a lot of us will sit down and we'll pray and we'll ask, you know, God, please make me stronger. You know, please help me to endure and get through this. But what we forget is sometimes the process of making us stronger, it actually hurts in the temporary to make us grow and be stronger in the long term. And I would imagine coming from that scenario that you talked about that you have to go through an awful lot till you finally garner enough strength to say, okay, I have to do myself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's the key to the healing to fully emotionally detaching in the long run is you have to go through it. And like I was saying to Elcio in the beginning of the show is that This is the reason why an average of women return to their abuser an average of seven times. It's because they're at the beginning of the process and it's too scary for them to feel the pain and to go through the, you know, the grieving process and the anger and the rage and the, all the suffering that comes with healing. So it's easier just to go back 
or to self-medicate. Lots of people do that, right? Where they just sort of go unconscious and don't want to feel it. But that was absolutely my success story is because I made a conscious decision that I was going to go through it. I was going to dive deep and I did. I got it was messy and dirty and ugly and painful and awful. And but there is no way that I would have risen to where I am today, living fully in the light and completely emotionally detached. That doesn't mean that I don't, you know, that the past is not there. In fact, just the opposite is that I can look at any part of my story and freely talk about it because I'm not emotionally attached to it anymore, meaning it doesn't alter my you know, whereas in the past, if I had triggers or flashbacks or whatever, I was immediately taken back to that moment. Whereas now I'm planted fully in the light. I would have never made it here had I not gone through it. Right. And you know, I think a lot of times, one thing I hear from students, they will be focused and zeroed in on, let's say something that, you know, a parent when they were growing up said to them that made them feel less than what they are. And I think that totally, I mean, you know, bruises heal, scars, you know, they quit showing at a certain point. But I think words in, you know, negative words that come from those that are supposed to be in your, your circle are worse and way longer term, you know, a a way longer amount of time than just physical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of the process too, is understanding that. And that's why I titled the book the way I did, You're Still That Girl, is because I help women get back in touch with the girl they used to be before the abuse started, because the abuse is full of all sorts of names that we own for ourselves. For example, I, when I first came out of it, when I first escaped, I really thought, I believed the voices in my head and I thought they were my own. I thought that I was worthless. I thought I'd never find anybody again. I thought I was too sensitive, too emotional, too high maintenance. You know, all these negative, like you said, you know, or that parents told me or society told me. I had no idea that these were not my voices in my head, right? So getting back in touch with that girl we used to be who has only good things to say about me you know, and thinks that I'm fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of that as far as, and I still do that today. I do it very consciously is when I have a thought creep up in my head, like if I'm going to do something or I get scared or insecure about something and I'll have a voice come up in my head and I'm like, oh, okay. Hello, dad. How are you today? No, I'm not going to. Nope. That's not who I am. Or hello, ex. You know, I recognize right away who put those labels on me. So that's key to figuring out, okay, we need to stop playing those tapes in our head or, or at the very least, if they are going to play, we're not going to believe them. Right. Right. You know, and I think too, like going back to Napoleon Hill, one of the things that Hill talks about over and over, I mean, just repeatedly is that desire is the starting point of all achievement, all change, all success. And I think sometimes and I'm guessing, and you could probably explain this much better than me, but if you've been in something that's made you feel bad for so long and you finally start kind of clearing things out, you know, the trash out of your head and trying to figure out what's best for you because you're not happy anymore or, you know, the negativity that's around you, you want to clean up and get rid of it. Right. I mean, it all has to start with the desire to want to change, right? Absolutely. You think about if you can conceive it, if you can believe it, 
then for sure you can achieve it. And I would think that that's applicable, not just in success or business, but in your emotional relationships as well. Absolutely. And that brings up a good point as far as to have that desire, you need that hope. You need to be able, even if you can't feel the light, you can see it, right? There's just that glimmer of hope and that's where desire can build. But if you're in, and this is what victims go through in the beginning, is that you don't have any hope, right? So how can there be desire? I remember at the end where I was actually making a conscious decision at the end after we had been through three therapists who all absolutely loved my ex and I was re-traumatized all over again, that I remember making the decision that, okay, this is the way it is. My life's never going to get any better and I just need to suck it up and put up with it. And that was because I had no hope because I thought I was all alone. So that's why this work I feel is so important is that bringing this awareness, what I've always said is that, you know, all of us victims are on the same road. Some of us are just farther along. So what I do is provide that light and that hope and that possibility, right? So that desire can manifest because once I connected with women who were farther along the journey and I could see their stories, you know, as far as success stories, as far as living without abuse and living their own life and living the life they'd always dreamed of, then that's when my desire manifested for me is because I thought, okay, there's the hope. Now I have the desire and that's how I'm going to make it happen. Right. Right. And I'm, I would imagine too, you know, they say that the workshop of the mind is your imagination. And I'm sure that you spent a lot of time when you were going through this internalizing how am I going to do this? What do I need to do? What are the pieces I need to be able to get where I want to be and not in this relationship? Yeah, there were no moments of like, how do I get out of this as far as like an active, you know, an active plan that was someday going to be put in place because, because what victims of emotional abuse, what we feel while we're in it is that it's all our fault. It's not like we have to leave anything because it's our fault. So we would just be taking it somewhere else. Like we feel lucky that our partner's putting up with this, Uh, putting up with us. But at the same time, I will say that looking back and I'm like, I got my PhD now in hindsight, right? But looking back and being really, really honest, there were those moments when I would find myself, like I love to take road trips by myself because I could get away and listen to music and just be free of him, that I would envision scenarios you know, that I was living this life that I always dreamed of and whatever. And so, yeah, there were those secret longings that I would have. Right, right. So I'd like to interject and to tie us a little together with Lana. You, you and I last discussion in, the, in Swimming in the Ocean of Conscious, you said you wanted to talk a little bit with me about persistence. And, right. And, and you know, I, I, wanted, I kept that in mind. And so... I really love where this is going because this was my intention, Susanna, with I really am feeling strongly with the work you're doing and I'm grateful for the strength you have from the experience you've survived to be able to share it in such a way because I think a lot of Lana and I's strength in the work we do can come together and guide and help and maybe from this we can create a way that can help others to each of our strengths. And I'd like to be able to interject really quick to read this, and then I'll let you guys kind of chime back in and take it from there. But it says, how to develop persistence. And when I saw it, I thought of Lana's last question to me. And in reflection to what you were just discussing and sharing with us so deeply that 
That is persistence of the soul, of the mind, and of that definite purpose of your soul and your will to overcome his manipulation of what he thought he had programmed you to be for 16 years for you to wake up one day and decide. It probably wasn't even one day, but talking about you coming to a definite purpose that this was not for me. And so from a definite purpose backed by a burning desire for its fulfillment and the fulfillment is not to be longer under that control, but for this soul that I am to be free, to be mindful, to be free, to be loving. That fulfillment is a definite plan expressed in a continuous action. That action is my desire to separate myself from that to find freedom and from that freedom you've come so far to give strength that i'm going to help others i'm going to reach forward and that a mind closed tightly against negative and discouraging influences which is this narcissistic type you've separated from that to a definite purpose to a definite plan bringing in closed tightness but you're built from that a friendly alliance, which is what I'm trying to bring here with you, myself and Mana and your, you, with one or more persons who will encourage one to follow to both plan and purpose. And that part and purpose is freedom, love, joy, and self-success in both personal and professional life, but one that is healthy and not in such a darkness that you've experienced. And that is from Napoleon Hill. And I wanted to bring that in because Lana, how can we help reflect of what persistence is to what Susanna survived and what she's now sharing with us in such a deep way that she's expressly survived it to the point she can be of assistance other than, as she mentioned, she's met others further along the road as she has in, in this experience, but she can look back and see those struggling just coming out of her, those still lost in it and maybe have a way of reaching into it. And I think I look at what you're doing with the Napoleon Hill podcast and, and the message that was just read there with how to develop persistence from Napoleon Hill and how your personal work that you do can help people like Susanna and help others out there that are coming through. But I'm more so are pointing at the work that Susanna is doing from a, a life coach and with her book to be able to help others in your digital work media. And then also the message that we represent with the Hill Foundation and, and his teachings. Right. And I think two key components, the way that, that you're positioning this, that I would pull from, which again are directly, you know, Napoleon Hill related, is you're talking basically about a mastermind group. Yes. You come together for a common purpose that's a, you know, positive attitude right? It's to help improve. It's to help better. And the other thing is, you know, and looking at when you go back and you want to try and help people, you know, and help them benefit from your experiences to help them improve themselves or to be stronger and help guide them. To me, that's the pure definition of going the extra mile. Yeah, it's very true. So I think it's definitely a good path. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, um, and Susanna, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Napoleon Hill. But that was my intention in asking both of you to join me in swimming the ocean of consciousness because I, I knew how deeply I swam with both of you individually. And I like to take what Lana and I's specialty is with what your experience and your specialty is. And we can blend and maybe come and take this whole thing to a different level and help others out there that is in need. Because as a man, and that's why I so liked it, because as, as women, I find that I've always been able to have that, you know, strong male presence side. But when I connect with you guys, 
I have this deep spiritual side that, that allows me to feel and to see deeply the experiences that you, ex you, you have. And I just can't understand being the way you describe Susanna, treating women in such a way is hard, you know? But then having dated someone like that, I've experienced what it's like to go to and date a victim. And so I think in terms of how to develop persistence as it was laid out in the definite purpose, the definite plan, having that close mind developing that friendly alliance that builds that mastermind and that connection and we can all find a way to connect. But I'd like to find a way that we can help victims out there that are still unconscious, but those that are seeking to leave and those that have just left and those that are on the path of leaving somehow with the work that we do individually and maybe what we can do together. Any thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I am, my mission, I mean, this wasn't what I wrote in my high school yearbook, what I'd be doing when I was 50, but <laughs> nonetheless, my path chose me and I am a humble servant on this road. I am glad to do it and I love doing it. My belief is a very simple one. It's that to cast out the darkness, you just need to shine a light on it, right? And that's my purpose and intention is in talking about emotional abuse and specifically as it relates to narcissists and what's included in the recovery and healing and how bottom line is that, you know, we are all worthy. We are all worthy of greatness and living a life that we, we've always dreamed about and that we deserve. So, but when we're in those dark places, we are pretty much helpless and need somebody else to shine that light. So that's what I see my role as now. Great, great. Alana, how do you think um, where you're at and what you're trying to achieve and your mindset at this moment from uh, as we discussed some of the things as possible can be able to be like a lighthouse of hope to shine into some of uh, the work that Susanna is doing with helping victims in that sense? And for me, it's like, how's the best way to integrate the Hill philosophy and concept to inspire and motivate internal strength to create a plan, to, to have a def definite purpose and to execute? Well, let me back up and, and say this. I tell you, you know what I think would be really beneficial and be very cool would be to have like a closed Facebook group where, you know, because a lot of the content is very specific. Yeah. But it would be nice to have, you know, maybe a group that people could join that either, like she said, you know, you're going through this, you've been through this, you know, it's for people that are trying to garner strength, you know, to get out of whatever. And then also those that want to maintain and have, you know, a positive mindset, because really all three angles you look at, they're all about your mental state. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're looking to be better. You're looking to be positive. You're looking to be happy. And all three of us are looking to share that with other people. So if you come together as, you know, there's strength in numbers, you come together in a group, you have the opportunity to put more out there and possibly help more people, maybe even in other ways that they didn't expect. Because maybe people that are going through, you know, what Suzanne's talking about, you know, don't know anything about Napoleon Hill or people that know Napoleon Hill, you know, don't know what she's talking about. And it might be a way to really continue that conversation on a larger scale. 
Zana, um, would you be open to whether it be a follow-up, like a video podcast sort of a webinar that we can maybe connect to Facebook as an introduction, just build momentum around us having open discussions? Because what I love most is the ability to discriminate the ocean and have any type of conversation or any type of subject. <laughs> but what I realize a lot of key things always come down to is our physical and personal health and well-being, our mental joy and our, our clarity of being and our definite purpose of a higher connection to self, some call it God, but really the essence is that we try to aspire to something more. What's really saddening is when life has to give us the experiences that you've had and when that has to come from someone that you love. And when you love so wholly for so long that it, it took so much strength to then free yourself from that to come and recognize that you are worthy of so much more and how does that fall back into then the work of having a definite plan and, and, and really trying to strive to be something more and, and generous. So, you know, I, I'd be totally open to trying to just have a follow-up discussion, but one where we can just open it up to like Facebook where we can pull in because sometimes there's people out there just searching to find something to connect to help them get stronger in that moment of their struggle to maybe let's say where you were at five years ago. And I think that's the intention of the thought is where when I met our three strengths and Lana's strength in digital and what she does and, and your strength and what you're doing as a survivor of this, this type of stuff. And the three of us having the will to kind of share and inspire from the heart to help others to grow mentally, spiritually, and then that give us a more healthy, happy life that we can find a way to do that and strengthen other women out there that are victims. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on board for sure. Any moment that, you know, I always say that I was silenced for so long and being a writer, that's, there's nothing worse than having your voice taken away from you out of fear and just being bullied into silence by my ex. And not only that, but before that by my own father. So once I started talking and telling my story, I'm just never going to stop. <laughs> no, love it. You go, girl. You go. <laughs> Uh, Susanna, if it's not too much for me to throw on you, would you mind telling the story again of your father and then how you had to cut ties with that? So I'm trying to draw a reference to Lana in terms of how we can then spectrum it from a place of, of having a definite purpose. Because to me, in that defining moment that you recognize your, not only your, your partner, but your father was a destructive element to your mental structure, you've made a conscious choice. As you and I were talking earlier, I also discussed with Lana in my previous interview of the four stages of learning of uh, unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, consciously competent, becoming unconsciously competent to have a social will of a definite purpose to connect to the, the, the mastermind. But you separated in such a deeply emotional way from, from your paternal father because of the destructiveness of the narcissistic trait. And I don't know if that's too much to share, but if you wouldn't mind, because I think it's helpful how strong you are and how willing you are to stand for freedom. Yeah, no, I can make this short and sweet. My father growing up was always abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive to my mother, but emotionally abusive and distant. Always was like that. And of course, at the time, who knows anything about what a narcissist is? And it didn't really matter. But during my divorce and once I left my ex, my father decided to side with my abuser and did so even at the expense of me. And so there was just so much pain there that, and although he had always been abusive, 
and we had never been close. Over the years, I'd always tried because everybody would always tell me, oh, he's your father. He loves you. Okay, well, first of all, that's bullshit because as a parent myself, not all parents love their kids. That's just a fact. So what happened was is that after you know decades of trying to gain his love and his support and his loyalty, I just finally came to a place where I realized, and this was only recently, that anything about him was just toxic to my well-being. So I just removed him ever so peacefully out of my life. I just, there was no confrontation. There was no anger or bitterness when I did it. I just came to a space where, and it was because of actually my Buddhist teachings that led me to this place of just, I just had to detach. I had to remove him from my immediate space because he was toxic and all he brought was pain into my life. So so I did so without, I mean, obviously, there's always going to be the pain of having a parent that doesn't love you, who is purposely inflicting pain upon you. I don't think that pain really will ever go away. It's certainly diminished. And I got to a place where I just have an understanding of this is who he is. You know, I accept him for who he is. That's a huge part of any of our recovery in anything is that we just have to accept people for who they are and let them go. So that's what I did. Very, very interesting and, and deep. I think, you know, it, it just takes the inner strength to choose your personal moment of health and, and wellness over what is conditioned. And that's a difficult moment. Yes. Yes, of course, because we're trained that, you know, as kids that, hey, that's your parent, right? You just don't do those things. Obviously, there are abusive parents. And, you know, just because somebody has a baby does not automatically make them a good person, unfortunately. So, <laughs> um, you know, you just don't turn into a great person. So with my father, it was, like I said, it was much more painful than my ex or any other relationship ever was because it's my own father. But it is what it is, and that's who he is. And I just had to accept that, that that's how he's always going to be. And I... You know, I am a great parent to my three sons and I know what I know what love looks like for your children. And so my father did not have that for me or my brother. So it was just in my best interest to let him go. Yeah, very true. And you know, I I'll try to bring this in then. It's like patient, persistence and perspiration make an unbeatable combination for any types of success in life, health, wealth, or being. Because the persistence is to the character of man as carbon is to steel. And that is the strength that it takes for you to make the decision you, you did from inside, from a mental, spiritual place, to bring it from an emotional decision that it couldn't be about anyone else but your own self and your own well-being. And when you reach that place, that's true maturity of not just your physical being, but your spiritual. And you, you made a strong choice and you made the right choice, I think. And now you're inspiring so many other people that are in an abusive situation. And unfortunately, there are kids that are in an abusive situation because of narcissistic parents and they don't make that, they don't get to make that free choice to right. have free life or not. And I think uh, what you've experienced and what you're able to extract from that to share with others to, to inspire them to find a balance of self I think and that's where I'm so happy to draw the connection between the three of us to, to swim in the ocean of consciousness to share that with others that we can find a way to to help pull others stronger that they can go from our experiences individually and what we bring to, together yes well said <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>
thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. It was truly a pleasure to be your guide. Please do join us next time for another eye-opening episode. Until then, please remember to thread water light and always be kind and loving to self.